0: Untitled Podcast is a part of the Kansas Google Education Group Network and also the Mace Kansas Network. You can find more information about episodes and guests at www.untitledpc.net. Welcome to Untitled Podcast. My name is Travis True.
1: And I'm Carol Nelson.
0: Welcome to this episode of Untitled Podcast. Today's guest is Dina Delery from Bonner Springs. She is a creative and self-motivated, innovative technology integrationist with a passion for helping other teachers, students, parents, and community to gain the skills they will use throughout school, college, and careers. Her background is in teaching and technology support plus techno- technology sales Dina's certifications include Google Administrator, Google Educator Level 1 and Level 2, Google for Education Certified Trainer. She is certified in Screencastify and also a Wakelet Ambassador. Dina and her husband reside in rural Selden, Kansas, where they farm and ranch. They have two adult daughters that have pursued careers in nursing and accounting and an adult son that helps them on the farm and Dina's absolute joy in the world is her granddaughter and two grandsons. So we want to welcome Dina Delory to the Untitled Podcast.
1: Dina, is so good to have you with us today. Let's get started with sharing with our listeners your journey in education and how you ended up in Bonner Springs.
2: Well, it's a kind of a crazy journey. Um, just listening to my bio, I'm like, oh, that's People might wonder a little bit about how I got to Bonner Springs, because uh, I said I reside in rural southern Kansas, which is partly true. So I started actually um, my career back in 1995. My certification in education is in uh, mathematics, um, 5 through 12, plus a lot of other certifications that I don't offer because I don't want to teach them. And so I started driving 50 miles away one way, um, took a job as a middle school math teacher, a computer applications teacher in high school, um, a yearbook advisor and teacher and a uh, newspaper advisor and teacher. I might mention that I never participated in newspaper or yearbook when I was in high school myself, but as a first year teacher, you say yes to everything. Plus I was their district technologist. Um, Back in those days, that meant computer labs, the library had a few things, newspaper had a few things, yearbook had a few computers, and our internet was dial-up, so that was super exciting. (laughs) Um, And then I I kind of got closer to home and uh, taught for about eight years, kind of in variance. I was always a district technologist at school districts, um, taught high school or middle school math and taught computers, and really kind of got very interested in um, focusing my um, educational journey as a district technologist. And I did that for three districts that were really close. They kind of shared time um, between a larger district and two smaller ones. And um, I enjoyed that really um, from the standpoint that I loved working with students, but I really wanted to help teachers in the classroom because we were just on the barely on the edge of using technology. But then I kind of realized that the technology that we had in most of our buildings were so antiquated that they were paying me to try to make them into something that they weren't um, because they couldn't really afford to upgrade. And so I kind of changed my journey for about 10 years and I, I'd go to what I call the dark side. I went to the technology sales side and I did that only in education um, for the state of Kansas. So I got to visit a lot of schools, see a lot of great things going on I learned a lot about technology that I had no knowledge of, Um, and it really helped support my three children going through high school, going through college. Um, It was difficult to raise three kids as a farmer and as a teacher. So finally got those kids all the way through college, and I came back to what I really enjoy, which is working with students and teachers. And I came back as an emergency uh, math teacher for a local school district that I lived close by and um, taught for them while they were trying to find their math teacher. And was kind of thinking maybe I'll just go back to math. I'd let my certification go and I thought I just need to get that back on track. And then I had a a superintendent um, that I had worked for previously come to me and asked me to apply to be their district technologist again. And I was like, man, I don't know. I, I really don't like wires and switches and all of that stuff. That's not my passion. And he goes, I promise you, you're going to have the opportunity to work with teachers in the classroom. And so I said, yes. And I took that position and I did it for six years and I got my certification back on track as far as my education. And I went into getting my master's of instructional technology. And I'll be quite honest, that's where my passion is at. I I moved clear across the state. I live in uh, Lawrence, Kansas during the week. Uh, to work in Bonner Springs at the middle school to be their innovative technology integrationist, which is a super fancy title to say I'm their tech coach. And I just work with students and teachers and anyone in my middle school building to help them effectively use technology to make an impact on the learning. And I love it. Like I would, I would do this until I retire, till I die, till whatever happens, because this is truly where I belong.
0: Awesome. So we know each other from being Google Certified Trainers. That's how I think we connected, if I remember right. So how did you learn about that program and why did you decide to apply and become a trainer?
2: That's a great question, Travis. Um, And we did meet um, before we were trainers, but because of Google. So I actually was, um, funny story, in Lawrence at the Google Summit there. And um, met Teresa Laycock. She's from the Cobb Valley School District. And I can't even remember what I was learning about, but it was all about Google, Google being a Google administrator. I was that already, but I was there talking with those people. I was trying to learn as much as I could about anything technology so I could take it back to my teachers back in Oakley School District back at that time in Western Kansas. And Teresa started talking to me about being this Google certified trainer. And I'm like, well, I'm a Google administrator. Like, what is this all about? And, and she really got me focused and actually helped me with my application. And so did you, Travis, if you looked at my video to make sure it was good. Um, but the reason why I applied was not because I wanted another certification. It's because I was just into helping my school transition to Google. We were just getting into Chromebooks and I needed to figure out how I could get my teachers and my students using those Chromebooks for something more than filling out a digital worksheet. So I got a lot of questions on, hey, can you help me with DocHub so we could do this spreadsheet or this, um, this uh, worksheet on the Chromebook? I said yes a lot the first year just so they got comfortable with Chromebooks, but I knew I needed to get them to that next level and I really felt like that the Google um, for Education Certified Trainer would help educate me in that direction. And I'm going to tell you what, it was the best thing that I ever did. And now, Travis, I'm taking that next step. And I really want to go through the um, coach program as well, because that's really where I'm at is in the coaching. And to be honest, there's really no coach program that really to really hold me to standards or really hold me to... How do I connect best with my teachers beyond building relationships? How do I build that trust? And their program just really put structure around that and is helping me take my coaching ability to that next level. I really thought I would have that certification done by Christmas, but I'm going to be honest with COVID. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a year long process for me. So I'm okay with that um, because I'm excited about what it's providing.
0: So you've started that coaching program?
2: I did. I started it in July.
0: So how's that? What's the process of that? Um, how's, I guess, kind of kind of explain maybe the differences in the trainer, going through the trainer process versus the coaching process.
2: So the trainer process, uh, you know, the first two steps are making sure you get your um, education level one and two first. Um, before you can take the skills test and then apply for being a trainer. And in the trainer um, application, you've got to create a video of basically why you want to become a trainer and then teaching some skill. And they give you a very small time limit to do that. Um, and then in the application, you have to show proof of what you've done that would make you a good trainer or a good candidate, candidate to be a trainer. The coaching process is different. You've got to show proof of your coaching ability. You've got to have artifacts. You've got to have, um, you've got to spend 80% of your time as, excuse me, 70% of your time as a coach, having one-on-one sessions with your teachers. Um, That's part of it as well. You do go through a test. So like there's this whole structure of training that you're going through, similar to being a trainer, um, just different because it's focused more on the coaching side of it. But so you are going to take a test. You do have to be EDU level one and two. Don't have to be a trainer to go on to be a coach. Um, but the real meat of what you're doing is you're creating a portfolio of your demonstration of your ability to be a coach. Um, before they are going to even look at you to you know to go through that application and say yes, you can. You're a certified coach.
0: So it's so the process is really six months to a year leading up to the actual application process of then getting into the program because you have to build all those artifacts?
2: I I would say yes. Now, I'm sure there's tons of shortcuts you could take to make that speed up quicker, but I don't want to speed it up. I don't want to take shortcuts because I want to get the skills out of this that I need for my job. So I want to, I'm kind of being anal about it, I guess is a, a word you could use for it. Just because I I'm trying to get out of it, just like I did with my master's program. I didn't pay for a master's program just so I could have the master on my, you know, my certificate, because by the way, I'll never get my money out of that. I did it so I could be better at my job. Um, you know, at, at my age, you're never going to get your money back out of master's, but I really enjoy learning. Um, so that's kind of the road I'm down.
0: Awesome. I, you're the first person that I know that is going through that coaching program. So it's going to be interesting to, to hear how that goes for you. And, and, uh, and then how, you know, when you get that, when you get everything um, squared away, where you can start that actual application, because I looked into it when it first came out and I thought, holy cow, this is, it's a lot of work. And it, um, you know, compared to getting your trainer, where you only have to do, you know, one train log, one train a month and, and submit a a training, you know, step sheet or a video or some sort of presentation. Um, and I, I had the same thoughts you did is I would have, I, I would like to have started it, but there was no way I, I could have done it uh, in the timeframe that I wanted to do it during COVID with all the stuff that we're doing remotely. There just wasn't, it just wasn't feasible uh, for me and in in my district. So um, I'm glad to hear that you um, have started that process and it's going to be interesting to, to listen how that, how that progresses.
2: I hope it's good. I mean, I I know it's good. I just, I'm not promising it's going to be six months a year. If I don't get it till next Christmas, I'm not bummed about it. I, I think it's going to be worth it when I get it accomplished
1: you can't rush the process on some of those things no i really appreciate your dedication and your passion i just it's fun this this whole podcasting thing is so unique and getting to listen to other educators and just learning more about you the process is so cool um as a trainer Um, I think we kind of develop our favorite things that we like to teach or coach or train on. What would you say is your favorite thing to teach with Google?
2: Well, it really kind of goes back to my master's program. So one of the classes that you have to take is called educational research. And you have to pick a topic that you're pretty passionate about because you're married to it to do a lot of work. And I, early on, even before the class started, I really knew my passion was in digital citizenship. And so I really wanna be able to show teachers how they can educate students utilizing the Google applications um, to really help those students develop those skills. I don't know that a lot of people are aware, but ITSE has adopted a digital citizen pledge um, for the students that was created by the the Commit. Um, If you ever go to digcitcommit.org, you can see that. And in my opinion, it really helps turn the corner for students Um, and educators, it kind of leads us down the path where we educate students on how to be good digital citizens by focusing on what students can do rather than what they should not do. Um, I think students have heard a lot about don't do stuff. And it's kind of like their brains aren't fully developed until they're at the age of 24, 25. So we can say don't, don't, don't all day long, but until it has some real impact on them, um, they can't hear us, you know, until it happens to them. And so I really want to focus on what should they be doing so they can develop those skills. Um, And Google Apps for Education has some hidden gems in it that can help really guide our students and teachers, such as, I mean, this is the simple thing within Google. In Google Slides, I know a lot of my teachers have kids add images, whether they're um, like the first graders, you know, they go in and, and give me three words, um, uh, three of your sight words that start with the that has the sound of a or a ah, and and then add images to go with those words because we all know that if we can connect images with words it has a, a longer effect or a longer impact on learning um but a lot of times students are out there on the on google and they're googling an image and they're throwing it into that presentation and i'm like did you break copyright? Well, we all can say in education that that doesn't apply to us. And that's true for some, some, some things. I agree with that. But in reality, we've just taught them a skill and a habit that they're going to carry on through life because I know we as adults, we're doing the same thing. And so I really just kind of show explore, like click on that little explore button down the bottom right that that's yellow when you're in Google Slides and go find your image there because everything there, you've got rights to use within your presentation, like in as an adult um, in creating those habits. And did you know that you can do the same thing in Google Drawings? But now in Google Drawings, you gotta go up to tools and down to explore, same thing. Did you know in Google Docs, it has the explore button as well and it can help build students creating citations, whether it's for um, research they're doing, because um, they're paraphrasing or they're using direct quotes or, you know, we don't add probably a lot of images to Google Docs, but the same feature is right there. Um, so helping students build those skills that they can carry on through adulthood. And if a kid says, Mrs. Dullery, I can't find the image I want, but if I go to Google search over here, I can find my image. Great conversation. Do you have the right to add that to your document? What does the author say? What And so we can have some of those conversations just using simple things like that, taking it to that next level. When we start talking about building empathy or having students communicate, collaborate, you know, those four C's that we're, we're talking about all the time. How do we do that? Google provides that option. We can, within um, the comment section, within a doc, a sheet, a drawing, a slide we can have students start um, commenting on each other's work, giving feedback. So for instance, if I'm designing a presentation um, or maybe I'm creating a this or that template from Ditch That Textbook um, and I want students to uh, that are trying to um, understand new information and make a decision. Do you want this or that? I make a decision as a student. Why not have other students come into the comment section and say if they agree or disagree and why. So again, getting students to really, you know, build that authentic audience beyond that teacher and maybe start small, like using the comment section within your classroom. Um, So we don't have to get wild and crazy when we think about digital citizenship. I also think about Google Classroom and we miss the opportunity of that type of social media and having students really engage in talking to each other. So as a teacher, I would really, really like for students to have the opportunity to post in the stream. Why not nominate somebody as your announcer in your class, whether you're middle school, high school, or even elementary? You, um, Dina, as the announcer for the week, have to post anything that's important for our class, anything that might be important um, that's going on at school. That's your job is to post that in the stream. And then allowing students to have conversation and ask questions of that announcer that's in charge of, you know, giving information to students. Why does the teacher have to say the test is on Friday? Why can't the announcer give that? Um, On the same token, if we have an assignment, why don't we have Q&A on an assignment from the students? Why does the teacher always have to be the one answering questions? I mean, grade school teachers always use the ask three before me. Why aren't we doing that in in Google Classroom and letting students um, be self-long learners and help each other out working as a team, collaborating? Um, So those are just some of the things that I really try to to work on when I start thinking about my favorites in Google. Um, And not to forget, this is Digital Citizenship Month. We're still in that month yet. Maybe not when you put this out there, but introducing in that middle school level uh, maybe fourth through eighth grade, um, something called "Be Internet Awesome" and in pairing that with Pear Deck to help um, with bringing some of those things like, um, you know, being safe, being informed, being balanced. Some of the things that we have in that digital citizenship pledge for our students, the curriculum's built for you. Um, all you have to do is just use it um, with your students, and I think that that's something we don't talk enough about. Um, and, and there's games in there. So after you go through a lesson, the like, students get to play a game, which by the way is focused on digital citizenship skills. I mean, how fun is that? Um, so in and the other part of that is kids get really excited about social media. So we've given them some examples. I've talked about it, but you know, there's a lot of social media templates for students that are under the age that should not have a social media account, but they want to be engaged with that. I mean, I have science teachers that use an Instagram uh, template within Google Slides um, to demonstrate knowledge when they're learning things about hatching eggs. And the kids get excited about that because Instagram is something they recognize. So those are my passions in Google Apps for Education um, in really talking with teachers.
0: Yeah, digital citizenship is very... It's important for everybody, not just students, but also teachers. I talked to a lot of teachers about the things that you said, just using images and using uh, uh, video was a big one that we talked about this spring because a lot of teachers um, will show clips of videos in their class and, um, from, and they use their Netflix account or their Amazon Prime account and will show snippets of, of movies. Well, over zoom that gets blocked and they can't do that. And so they're, you know, they're trying to find a workaround for that, but you know, tech, to, you know, you're not supposed to do that because of copyright. And so I've had several conversations about that, um, over the spring and, and at the beginning of the school year, but, um, yeah, it's great stuff. Um, digi- like I said, digital citizenship is it's, just, it's important all the time it, it's one of those easy things to teach in the moment. Um, and just, yeah, a lot of great stuff that you're doing with that. Um, with I think the most important
2: students. part, oops, sorry. No, I think fine. one of the things is just at the moment, that's one thing I heard you say, um, but to really practice it as an adult, like forcing yourself to do what you just taught to your students I need that really cool image and I know I can go get it if I go search Google, but do I have rights to use it? Really practicing that. And so I talk to my teachers about everything that's got an image. When I work with students, they've got a document where they got it. And if there's not documentation where they have it so that I can check for permission and I don't check every one of them, but I do randomly check um, because I think, Kids and students need to know how important that is moving forward because it can make or break you um, as an adult. For instance, I'm just going to tell myself right here, I was doing um, when we used to have YouTube live and we could, you know, hold sessions and I did a lot of them and I was doing one on Screencastify and I played a little clip from a TED talk that was super powerful and what I was going to show. And it was from, it was from um, soul from uh, Khan Academy. And then I put that on YouTube and guess what? Um, He came back to me and reprimanded me just a little bit that while I'm not making money off my video, he'll allow me to use that clip, but I didn't have permission originally to do that. And he's right. I didn't even think about that because I I am in such a habit of just grabbing what I need and using it Um, because I'm an educator. I can do that. Right. Well, you know, copyright law says that's not really true. There's a certain limit to that and breaking that down for students. I actually know how to break that down, but I wasn't practicing that all the time. So we as adults, we make those mistakes and it's good for us to talk about our mistakes so that students know we're not perfect and um, just talk about different situations, you know, so that they understand that we're learning with them and this is a new world and in Citations back in my day on a paper is way different than what it is today. Um, and the last thing I might say about uh, Google and in terms of digital citizenship is I think the part we miss as teachers in allowing our students to partake in that discussion and in the, in the conversation digitally is we don't coach them. We don't coach them of what our expectations are. And I spend a lot of time in starting in third grade, but it can go below that, I'm um, talking about something called the Oreo cookie method. And I used it in college, and I love using it with students, and we eat Oreo cookies even when we're talking about it. But I help them set the expectation of what I expect to see in a post in classroom or a comment within my assignment. If I give you permission to make comments and have discussions, there's parameters around that. So that we can build good empathy and we have focus of what we're talking about, because this is really not us chatting about, you know, what's going on Saturday night or my birthday party. You know, I have a focus when we're doing that. And I think that teachers get really frustrated. So they just shut it off and we're not allowing that. And how do we block comments and all of these apps, which why would we do that? It was built for collaboration. Um, It's because we, we, get concerned and we don't set the right expectation because we don't have time. Well, make that time at the beginning, um, and then have the opportunity to coach kids that are not following that track. So I would love for anybody out there, if you are interested in what I'm talking about with this Oreo cookie method, um, super easy and you get to eat Oreos. So it's a good day.
0: So I like Oreos, so I think I'll come visit. You let me know when you're going to do that lesson and I'll come visit. I will. Um, I, I really like to see that. So um, kind of changing gears just a little bit. We, you gave a lot of information and great information about digital citizenship. But um, as trainers, and all three of us are, are Google trainers, we're always asked, hey, what is, you know, you got You got a tip. You got What's the new tip? What's the new Google trick or what's the new tip? Um, you can show me. I got, I got an administrator at the district office and every time I step into his office, he always says, show me something new, teach me something. And so what is your favorite little tech tip or trick that you can share with people today?
2: Well, I have to confess my sin and my sin is I'm an organizational freak. Um, Travis can probably tell you um, some of the problems that I have. I I probably should join a self-help group over this issue. So my favorite tip right now is um, something called um, the the Chrome update has given us within our Chrome browser, also the Chromebooks because they're built off a Chrome OS um, called something called Chrome tab groups. And I'm gonna tell you if I can organize, I will figure it out. And this is so awesome. Um, So it's super easy to do. You right-click one of your tabs and you have the option to add a new group. Um, And from there, you can name your group and you can color code it. Like this is an organizational problem for us. Um, So what's cool about it is like right now I'm talking to you and I have probably 25 tabs hidden somewhere because I've organized them into groups. Um, And I think for teachers, this could really be beneficial for Maybe they have something that they're always doing for daily use. Maybe they have something like only student view. Hey, these tabs are teacher view. Uh, Maybe they've got their lessons up there and maybe they've got a tab for presentations and they've got all of those groups within that tab or the tab group. What I like about it is the color codes help me visually. Um, It means something to me. I can also close down a whole group. So those five tabs that belong to that group, I can close them down right away when I don't need them. Um, as well as I can add new tabs to it. I just right-click, add it to the group that I've already created. Um, and I can also ungroup them when I'm done. Maybe I'm working on a project and I can ungroup these because I don't need them any longer grouped together. The one hang-up, I will tell you, and this, is, this is a hang-up, and I've, I've asked Google to change this, and I'm sure other educators have as well, is when you close down all of your windows within Chrome or you restart your device, those groups are gone. So a way to avoid that, the workaround is to go into your Chrome settings and go down to where it says startup. You have a choice to start up, you know, with a Google page or where you left off or can't remember what the third choice is. but what you want is where you left off. If you will mark that one, when you open up your Chrome again or your computer restarts and you start all over, all those groups are still going to be there. Otherwise you lose it. And those of you like Travis that are using maybe more than one screen, you can, your tabs don't go from screen to screen. And what I mean by that is they're separate windows. So your other window, whether it's on the same computer or a different screen, you would have separate tab groups for that. So your groups don't, don't function from one window to the next. I love
1: it. Like I'm color coded. I'm getting excited because I had not heard about that yet. I'm going to just confess that. And I'm an organizational fan. So I think I know what I'm doing later on tonight or tomorrow. I am organizing my tabs. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I was really excited to see this um, see this come out and get access to it. But I'm, I'm with you, Dina. I was kind of disappointed that you can't save your, save your groups. Um, but hopefully hopefully they get that fixed since this is something new and they'll get, I'm sure they'll get all kinds of feedback from people and they're good about listening to, to people, especially teachers. And, and, uh, I'm sure I'm sure that update's gonna, gonna come soon.
1: We talked a little bit about COVID and some things that it's affected, but, you know, sometimes we can get focused on the negative part of COVID and what it's caused, but we also want to, there are some things that we can take away from our teaching during COVID that are, you know, things that we've realized and things that we'd like to continue forward. What would be something that you would say fits within that?
2: I really kind of have a couple things, but the one that, that we realized, especially last spring, is that as us as adults and, and students were not different than us, but we realized that we were zoomed out like, whether it was Google Meet or it was Zoom, it didn't matter. We were virtual out. Um, And so it's forced us to use some tools that we already have and we knew that we could do it. Um, We just never did. So we have things like, we don't have staff meetings all the time just to have a staff meeting like we used to. Um, Now we've asked our administration, took our feedback as teachers, and now she's using Screencastify to record the staff meeting and sending it out every Friday Um, with everyone having it watched by that following Monday. Um, And teachers love that. Like, don't waste my 30 minutes of us just chit-chatting because we can chit-chat different times or later on. We don't need to have a whole staff meeting to chit-chat. The other thing we realized is that we were having a lot of formal meetings and we were waiting to, to accomplish or to resolve issues until the formal meeting happened. And, you know, with tools like Google Hangout and Google Meet, we can just Like Travis, you're clear across town and Carol, you're clear across town. We don't need to wait and meet up at the the central office. Let's just talk right now. Let's just have an at moment conversation and resolve it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the biggest one that I really like is because it being in Topeka, it's a 10 to 15 minute drive to pretty much any, any building uh, for a meeting. So I've really appreciated having to not travel and just be able to get in and get out of meetings and not have that have that time in the in the car traveling to and from the office and, and get back to work and get back focusing on those things that we just talked about in those meetings. So, yeah.
2: And the last one I'm going to talk about is how we're doing parent and teacher conferences this has been i mean i don't know if my teachers would say this but i just get the vibe that this has been the best thing since sliced bread because um so this wednesday and thursday was professional development for us and then half a day of work day for each of those days and then the evenings were always set aside for parent teacher conferences and then friday you know teachers and students have have that all together and um we didn't do that this year like teachers could choose to do that if they wanted to But entire October was parent-teacher conferences, and teachers could schedule it with their parents whenever they wanted, and the goal was 100% participation, which we do have a lot of the time, have 100% participation, Um, but being at the moment of when it's the most convenient for parents, um, I don't think we'll ever go back to how we did it.
0: Well, Dina, thanks for uh, coming on with us for our untitled podcast. Um, it was great to hear all the great stuff you're doing uh, for your teachers and students and um, everything that, or a lot of the information that you shared and uh, links and that sort of thing, uh, people can, who uh, people who are listening can find those in the show notes on the episode page on our, on our website for the, For the podcast, which is www.untitledpod. Sorry, it's www.untitledpc.net is is the website for for the podcast, and we'll list all the all the all the resources that were mentioned um, throughout the episode, and uh, people can go back and and check those out uh, while they listen to the listen to the show. So, thank you, Dina, again for joining us and thank you. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great day. Untitled Podcast is a part of the Kansas Google Education Group Network and also the Mace Kansas Network. You can find more information about episodes and guests at www.untitledpc.net.